You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. You may be seated. Good morning again and welcome to Summit Community Church. Glad to have you with us today to worship with us here and online as well. Glad to have you in this place. We are concluding our REC series today. You might be saying, well, the series about the resurrection. Well, yes, the resurrection is impactful for all of our lives, the rest of our lives once we experience the risen Savior. Therefore, we're ending it today. We pray that you've seen some principles here as we conclude this series about how we can apply these principles from those in the scriptures, how our lives must be wrecked by the resurrection of Christ as well. We've looked at several characters thus far. We've looked at how Christ wrecked their lives by his resurrection power in their lives when they experienced him. Now, so far, we've looked at Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene came face to face with the risen Christ at the tomb. She shows up at the tomb that morning expecting to find a sealed tomb. She finds an empty tomb, worried that Christ's body has been stolen, tells the disciples they come running. But Mary Magdalene stays when they leave. She experiences the risen Christ, and she proclaims Christ risen to the disciples. She becomes the first eyewitness and witness of the resurrection in the pages of history. Peter came to the tomb, saw the empty tomb, walked away. He needed repentance. He needed this regret restored in his life. So Christ met him by the Sea of Galilee days later on a fishing expedition to restore him on the beach, to restore him to proper place, to heal that place in his life. Peter's story is a story of regret, remorse, repentance, restoration, and revival truly in his heart. We've looked at the Apostle John, Disciple John. He came to the tomb with Peter. He was not as brash as Peter. He did not go in first. He stoops in to look and sees the linen cloths, sees the empty tomb. Peter blows by, goes in. When Peter leaves, John goes in. And John came to belief in Christ at the empty tomb. Without seeing Christ, he came to believe. What John saw and what he did not see at the empty tomb, John came to believe in Christ as the risen Savior. Last week, we looked at Thomas. Forever known in the pages of history as Doubting Thomas. By his own faults, his own doings, he's known as Doubting Thomas 2,000 years later. He said, if I don't see it, if I don't experience it, if I don't touch it, him being Jesus, his nail prints, his side, I will not believe. Christ appeared to him, and he says, my Lord and my God. Today. We're looking at another man whose life was radically changed by the power of the resurrected Savior. We're looking at the man named Saul, that notorious, famous accuser and persecutor of Christians and the church. Paul, Saul, did not believe in Jesus, was doing everything he could to totally destroy and annihilate Christianity. But during one of his travels to persecute and take captive Christians, all of that changed in his life. You see, in Acts 8, prior to our reading today, Paul, Saul, was at the stoning of Stephen, who became the first martyr of the faith. 
And it says that Saul was standing there, and they were laying their clothes at his feet, and he was giving approval to what was taking place. Paul was agreeing with the stoning of Stephen. Saul became continued ravaging the church and dragging men and women off and putting them in prison. You see, for Paul, Jerusalem wasn't enough. He wanted to reach his reign of terror on the church and Christ outside Jerusalem. So he asked the high priest for letters to Damascus, saying, allow me to go out there to the outer, outer regions and grab Christians, followers of the way, men and women, bring them back to Jerusalem to be held captive and held to sentence for their conviction of being a Christian. He does this. He's granted letters. Off he goes. But as so often, little did, Paul, did Saul know that he was getting ready to have an encounter with Jesus on that road to Damascus that would radically change his life forever. Now remember what we've been saying throughout this series, one thing about all these people and about us. Here it is on the screen. Jesus will show up for you when least expected and most needed. Right here, Saul needed Jesus desperately. Very much least expected, would you agree? But most needed, Christ showed up in Saul's life. Christ is getting ready to show up in his life in a definite need and totally unexpected way. Look at verse 3 again. As he traveled, it was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice in him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now I want to add a phrase to that last phrase we've been using in the series, the last little part. Look at the screen again. Jesus will show up for you when you least expect it and most needed and how you need him. Catch that last phrase. When least expected, most needed, and how you need him. As we've seen throughout this series with all these characters in the Bible, there are no cookie-cutter responses to Jesus or from Jesus. Look at what's happened. Jesus met Mary in her grief at the tomb. He met Peter by the Sea of Galilee for restoration and revival in his life. He met John right there, sight unseen, at the empty tomb. He met Thomas deeply engrossed in his own doubts. And right here, he met Saul in his religious animosity towards him. But with each one, they experienced the same thing. They experienced life change. They experienced the gospel, experienced salvation through their encounter with the risen Lord himself. Now, a quick warning about this conversion of Saul, later to become Paul, which we'll explain later, because here's a warning. Saul's conversion was very dramatic, would you say so? The most dramatic of all the scripture of him coming to know Christ. There's this visible light that strikes him down. He falls to the ground in terror. And then he hears a voice from heaven being Jesus speaking to him. Pretty radical, pretty dramatic. But I think now on the surface, we got to catch this. Saul did not fall to the ground in worship at the very beginning. He falls to the ground because he's terrified. It struck him down. He's like, what is this? He's struck blind. He's in shock. He falls to the ground in, 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 in just fear that worship will come later. But here he is, struck down, very dramatic. And some people look at this conversion, and here's what they say. Now, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I need in my life. If Jesus would just come in my life like that, that's what I want it to look like. Then I'll believe. Well. Word of caution, word of warning. 
every encounter with Jesus is not dramatic. And it doesn't happen in the same way. In every encounter we've seen so far, it can be different how you encounter Him. But the result is all the same. Every person we've looked at, different encounters, but the result was the same. Each person was changed from the inside out. Paul saw, thought he knew what God was like and what God wasn't like. He thought he had that nailed down. He thought God was a God who favored highly religious and moral and disciplined people like him. He actually thought that God showed favor to those who followed all the rules and regulations to the letter. That's why Paul says, Saul says, I'm, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a persecutor of Christians, because that's who I was. That's how I appeared pictured God to look like Paul, like the rest of us. Many times believed in a God who supported the person that he already was and he wanted to be and who despised all the people he despised. The reality from Paul's conversion is this. We never seek the real God of the Bible without the intervention and aid of the Holy Spirit himself. God begins to change and work through the power of the Holy Spirit to change us, to not look for the God we're looking for, but the real God of the Bible. Genuine conversion and salvation starts when you begin to realize you're dealing with a God who's not the way that you really want Him to be. Let me clarify. He's the way He is. There's some things that are scary about Him. There's some things disturbing about Him. Some things you have trouble accepting about Him. When you find yourself in that place, you're on the right track. Until you're wrestling with a God like that, you're continuing with the one-dimensional God you created and not the Lord of the heaven and earth who created you. Saul was beginning to realize this on his road to Damascus. And unless you have a God who tells you things you don't want to be true, you will never be changed when He tells you things that are too good to be true. To accept the things that are too good to be true, you've got to accept the things that are you don't want to be true. For example, you will never be able to accept that He forgives you. You will never be able to accept that he's going to be, you're going to be resurrected. You'll never be able to accept that you're going to be, He's going to adopt you. So an untamed living and real God is the first requirement for a great life change in conversion of knowing Jesus. You're approaching such a God when you start to realize it doesn't matter so much what you think of Him as what He thinks of you. That begins to change your perspective. Looking back at what Jesus said to Paul, to Saul, when he knocked him to the ground, verse 4, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now let's clarify this. Who is Saul persecuting right here before this encounter? He's persecuting Christians. He's persecuting the way. It was coming at attacks. If you know Jesus, his attack was on you. But Jesus appears and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Me. That one little two-letter word began a conversion and a thought pattern in Saul's life. He began to process things. Those first words that Saul heard from Jesus were so profound that it shaped all of Paul's life and ministry from that moment on. See what happened. Paul quickly learned right there that to be a Christian meant far more than merely adopting another set of beliefs and practices in the hope of that God would favor him and answer his prayers. These simple words of Jesus point to a relationship infinitely deeper 
and richer than anything you'd ever imagine. Jesus was claiming, and here's where the beauty of this is, such an intimate union with his people that what happened to them happens to him. We're tightly intertwined together in that conversion experience of knowing Jesus. He's saying, when my people suffer, I suffer. When they rejoice, I rejoice. When they're full of hope, I'm full of hope. When they're full of joy, hope, joy, love, whatever it is, that's me, that's, that's me and them. We're together. We're united in this. And that began to work on Saul's mind. He says, what's true of them is true of me. You've been persecuting me this whole time. Paul began to understand that he had been so sincere in all he had done. Would you agree that Saul was a sincere man from, from birth? He sincerely believed that to be a Pharisee of Pharisees was a really good thing. He sincerely believed that getting rid of Christianity was the thing to do. He sincerely believed that getting rid of Jesus was the right thing to do. But what is he finding out here? He found out, he began to realize he was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. God's beginning to work on his life. And from that first question, Paul, Saul immediately asked another question. He says, who are you, Lord? Saul said, who are you? Then Jesus says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting, he replied. This answer from Jesus rocked Paul's world. See, Saul, Paul had to believe. He, he believed with reasons that Christianity could not be true. What was his reasons? He knew the Bible taught that there's only one God, and yet these people were worshiping this guy named Jesus as if he were God. The Bible spoke of the Messiah being like King David, who would be one who would gather and defeat all their enemies, but yet Jesus was crucified and never came to power. And Scripture said person who hung on a tree was cursed. He's going, this can't be true. But then on the Damascus Road, Paul was confronted with this irrefutable fact that Jesus had risen from the grave. And his life was totally changed. He finally realized, I've been sincere, but man, I'm beginning to understand I was sincerely wrong. Just three days later, now, don't you catch this? When you read later in the book of Acts, in this great chapter, after he gets his sight back, we'll fast forward for a second, he gets his sight back. Three days after this encounter, he's in the very synagogues where he's taking people off to prison because they're Christians. And what does he say in the synagogues? He says, people, I want to tell you this. Jesus Christ, that man who I've been persecuting all my life, trying to get rid of, he is the Son of God change. Sincerely wrong all my life. He had not worked out all the answers to his questions at that moment. But once he realized Christ was risen, he knew there had to be answers to the rest. Didn't have to have all the questions answered. He just knew, I've experienced the resurrection of Christ. All the rest will come into play. You can see how this radically changed Paul, Saul. He has changed from being so vindictive and angry towards Jesus to now being humble and obedient to Jesus. Look at verse 6. He's told what to do, and he immediately does it. Verse 6 says, but go, get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. A mystery statement. Jesus says, Saul, just get up, go into the city, and then you'll be told what to do next. Saul doesn't argue. Saul does not put up a fuss. He just is helped up, and off he goes to the city. Mysterious landing in the city, like, why am I here? He didn't have to ask questions. He just went. This man who was so vindictive and angry is now humble and obedient to Christ. 
You also see this calling was very specific for Saul. There was others around him who were with him who heard but didn't see. They, they were aware of what was going on. Look at verse 7. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. That is very impactful for me and for all of us to understand because, once again, our statement, what does it say? Jesus shows up when least expected, when most needed, and in the way you need him. People around you, around me, we can hear the same stuff, be in the same situation, scenarios, but it might speak to you and not speak to me or vice versa. How does that work? People hear the same sermons. And something clicks for you, it doesn't click for me. It clicks for somebody else all the way around. They read the same books. They hear, have the same questions, but it all just sounds like noise to them. And in these very same things, they hear, this, hear the voice of God because He's speaking to you. God speaks to us up close and personal, even in the midst of a crowd. He's with people who are His followers, His cohorts. They don't really get it because Jesus is speaking to Saul, even though there's people around. It's very unique. Jesus showed up when least expected, most needed, and how Saul needed him to show up in his life. He needed a radical conversion. Saul responds immediately. Look at verse 8. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Now, can you imagine the shock of this? This, this man is was not born blind. He was just struck blind right here. He could see nothing. He's like, that's a shock factor in itself. So here he stands. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. And it says he was unable to see for three days. He did not eat or drink. I think that's pretty radical too because for three days, that had to been a long three days. And I think during the three days, God was working on his heart, working on his mind, working on his spirit. He was processing all this. Saul, this infamous persecutor of Christianity, has now encountered Christ. He began to be broken down and built back up for the glory and praise of Jesus Christ himself. Let's get a picture of what's happening. Saul, this mighty Saul, is now kneeling before God, before Jesus Christ. Saul, the one who thought he saw so clearly, is now being led by the hand because he's blind. Saul, the one who seized others, now is being seized himself by the Lord Jesus Christ. Saul, the one who broke others, is now himself being broken by Christ. And by the way, Saul did go on later to change his name to Paul. That's why I said I can slip up and say Saul or Paul intermittently because it's the same person. Do you realize, do you realize what the word, the name Paul, means to them? The word, the name Paul, means small. Saul was a revered, respected name in Jewish history because it's the name of their first king named Saul. So what do you happen to hear? What's happening here? By this simple name change, what's taking place in all this time, Saul the mighty has become Paul the small. God is working in his life. And I want to give you a few specific things that we can learn and apply from Paul's wrecked life right here. What's happening? First thing we see is this. we got to understand this. God has been pursuing you. God was pursuing Saul. God pursues me. God pursues you. God is in hot pursuit of us every time, every moment of every day. He's going after us. 
later. Paul realizes this later because later in the book of Acts, he gives testimony of this encounter when he talks about it, given, given what Christ had done. In Acts 26, he makes reference to this encounter. And he adds another phrase there that Jesus spoke to him in that brief encounter in Acts 9. Acts 26, verse 14, he says this. He said, we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic. Did you read that? We all fell to the ground, but I heard a voice in Aramaic saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And look at this phrase. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. You might look at me and go, what in the world is a goad? Well, it's a Greek proverb, very familiar to those who are in agriculture. A goad was a long stick with a sharp iron end on one end that was used to prod oxen when they were, they were plowing. So the farmer would be behind the ox. You ever heard a phrase, stubborn as an ox? I pray you've never been called that because it's not a good thing. You're as stubborn as an ox. Well, oxen can be stubborn. And they knew this, but oxen were needed because they're muscular and they're powerful. They needed them to plow. So when they were plowing, to keep them on the right path, the straight and narrow, and keep plowing and not stop, the farmer would be behind them with this goad, this long stick with a metal pointed end on it, and they would stick it in their back leg. Now, does that sound pleasant? Not at all. But they, when, the, when the ox was beginning to stop or beginning to go opposite where they're supposed to go, being stubborn, the farmer just goes mm, like this and gets them in the back leg, and it's stuck in there for a little while. And as oxen could be stubborn, guess what they did? They start kicking against that stick. And the more they kicked, the more it dug into their flesh. So the more they kicked, the more it hurt. Whereas if they just listened, paid attention, it would have been removed. So why would Jesus tell Saul it's hard to kick against the goads? What ended up happening for an ox when they were plowing, when they rebelled and fought against it, they suffered even more. And that was exactly what was happening to Saul all of his life. Christ was letting Saul know, even in his question to him, that all of Saul's persecution was really futile. It was just inflicting more misery and pain on Saul as time went on. Now, you might say, what was it that would be like a goad in Saul's life, prodding him, sort of making it uncomfortable in his life? I think of a couple. I think of the stoning of Stephen just prior to this. He's standing there watching this saint named Stephen dying for the cause of Christ, dying for his faith. And he witnesses Stephen looking up into heaven, giving glory to God, even in his last breath, his stones were hitting him in the face and all over his body, healing him. I think that stoning of Stephen was a goad in his life. I think these unanswered questions in his heart and his life were a goad, prodding him. I think that the way Christians died when he saw them being taken off to prison and being martyred, he watched how they died. He watched their testimonies, and that was a goad in his life. It was bothering him and hurting Saul. And he was kicking against these things. Rather than saying, I, I, I give in and I agree, I submit, I surrender, he just said, I don't agree with this. And he's like this, like an ox. I don't agree with it. I don't like this. The more he kicked, the more it hurt. Because you see that. Look at his... Look at his attitude prior to this. The longer he went on in his life, the more violent he got in his attacks on Christians in the way, Christianity. 
So Jesus is saying, Saul, I've been following you. I've been pursuing you. I've been prodding you along, trying to get your attention. And now we're here. God has been pursuing you. He pursues you and he pursues me. Number two is this. You've been blind. We all have to admit Paul's blindness is a picture for all people who are separated from Christ. So there's an irreligious blindness that we get trapped into. But we believe that our way is better than God's way. You ever been there before? Or simply, we just don't even need God. We can do this ourselves. We can take care of this. I got this. You do what you want to do, and you do it your way. Maybe at first things are great. Then you wake up one morning and you realize things are not working out the way you the way you thought they would or they should. You finally realize that you've been treating God as the enemy until you finally realize He's not. He's your friend. He gave His life for you. Blinded by irreligious blindness. Second is a religious blindness. We think that we could be good enough to earn God's approval. Think if we just try really hard and keep the rules just good enough, then God will accept us. Then we finally realize the only things we actually earn are all bad things. The only things which we're truly looking for are only found in Christ. We finally realize this. What we're looking for is found in Christ, found in the gospel. They're found in grace itself, which is an across for God's riches at Christ's expense. We finally realize you don't have to be good at being good for God to love you. We finally realize it's not about trying, but trusting. You finally realize it's not about your success in doing, but your faith in what has been done for you. We can be trapped in blindness. Man, this is a big one. Your past does not disqualify you from God's grace. You're never disqualified from God's grace. I want to ask you a question and just sort of look at me. If, if there ever was a person that we've read about in the history of Christianity itself, would there be anybody who you would say that would be disqualified from God's grace? We're talking about him today. I look at this story if I could say somebody could be disqualified or would be just Saul. But we have to realize nobody, not one, any one of us, is disqualified by our past from God's grace. Saul was a violent persecutor of the church, a violent persecutor of Christianity, a violent and murderous persecutor of Christians. But he wasn't disqualified. He was qualified by God's grace in Jesus Christ. Don't ever think you're disqualified. We're qualified by grace through Jesus Christ. Next one is this. Your past does not disqualify you from future usefulness. God still does gracefully use us in His kingdom regardless of our past. Later in the story, God sends Ananias to Saul to heal his blindness. At first, Ananias refuses. He knows Saul's reputation. Basically, Ananias looks at God and God says, Saul, uh, Ananias, I want you to go down here to this street named Straight and find this man named Saul. I want you to heal his blindness. He's struck blind right now. Heal his blindness. Ananias basically just argues with God and goes, God, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Saul, the man who kills people like me, me go to him? 
I'm not going near that man. He's over there. I'm going over here. God says, no, go to him now to heal his blindness. Ananias does go. We read in verse 15 of Acts 9, it says, but the Lord said to him, go for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. What does that tell us? God took the greatest enemy of the church who had the blood of God's saints on his hands, curses on Christianity from his lips, put him before kings, the salvation of the world on his lips proclaimed to them. Your past does not disqualify you being used by God in his kingdom. He used Saul. He can use me. He can use you. So one of the greatest mysteries of the gospel is the greater the damage of sin, the greater usefulness in redemption. The greater the need for grace, the greater God's glory in bestowing it. So often, the sin you struggle with and the pain you go through make you uniquely qualified to speak redemption to others in the same condition. Now, another review on the main truth. Jesus shows up when least expect Him, when you need Him the most, and in the way you need Him to show up. That's Jesus. He shows up in Saul's life definitely when least expected, definitely most needed, and definitely how he needed. But all, there's been no templates on how this works out in the initial encounters. You look at our story in this whole series, Jesus comes right to Mary, comes right to Thomas, and speaks to them personally. Jesus leaves John and Peter alone to think and figure things out for themselves. But Jesus knocks Paul flat with rebuke, but gently speaks Mary's name. But even though Jesus approached them differently, the outcome was the same. All of them were wrecked by the resurrection and they encountered the risen Christ. My question again through this series has your life been wrecked by the resurrected Christ? Because I want to tell you, if we had a panel of people up here today, and on this stage we had Mary, we had Peter, we had John, we had Thomas, and we had Paul. Here would sit Mary in her emotional, great being a very emotional being in just very emotional states such a powerful young, young lady. Here would sit Peter in his brashness, speaking before he thinks. Just out there. Run in the tomb. Don't stop. Just go in. Speak what you think before you think. Here sits John. There's lurks in the background. Here would be Thomas in his skepticism and his doubt, just sort of like leery of things before he's proven things. Then here was said Paul, this man who was such a violent accuser of the faith. Different stories, different encounters, but all five would say, you know what? We all were radically changed by the resurrected Christ. We are who we are today because of Him. I ask you, have you been changed by this Christ? Has He encountered your life in this way? Maybe it's for the first time you've never encountered him. But maybe, just maybe, it might be where you've encountered him, you're living for him, but then you sort of strayed away. Got on another path, 
He's saying, it's time to come back. I need to make the wreck of the resurrection real again in your life. I need you to come back to me. Whatever it is, we're going to stand right now and sing a song and say, search me, God. Pour out your spirit. Fill up my life. Let that be your prayer today. Lift your voice and your hearts to him. Let God speak to you. You respond as he speaks. Let's stand together and pray. Father, have your way in our hearts today. Have your way in our lives today, we pray. Give us your, your insights, your wisdom, your word, your direction for us. Father, help us to lean into you, to hear your voice. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCC Morganton.